0: Excellent, well, um, hi everyone. Welcome back to the Office Hour Media Network. We're bridging the gap between college students and professors through engaging interviews with top-rated instructors recommended to us by their students. Today, we'll be speaking with law professor Barbara McQuaid, graduate from the University of Michigan in 1987 and Michigan law in 1991. In 2010, Professor McQuaid was appointed by President Barack Obama to serve as the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan a position in which she continued until 2017 and in which she was the first woman to serve. Outside the classroom, Professor McQuaid is also a legal analyst for NBC News and MSNBC and her written work and given quotes have been featured in a number of prominent magazines and newspapers. Professor McQuaid, thank you for coming to the office hour.
1: Thanks very much for inviting me, Noah.
0: Excellent. So to start off, I'd love to to get a little bit more background and to give our listeners a little bit more background about you. Um, so I'd love to hear more about what drove you originally uh, to become a lawyer and uh, what gave you an interest in that field.
1: I think the same thing that drove me to become a lawyer uh, is what drove me to to have an interest in journalism, which is what I was interested in when I first started at the University of Michigan. I My diploma says economics, but I really majored in the Michigan Daily. I spent a lot of time at the Michigan Daily covering sports. I was the sports editor there in 86, 87 when Jim Harbaugh was the quarterback. It was a lot of fun. But um, my first memory as uh, you know, in the news was Watergate. I was a young child when Watergate was going on. And um, I romanticized the work of Woodward and Bernstein. Uh, the idea that re- two reporters could take down a president who had abused his office and his power by betraying the public trust, struck me as about the most noble thing you can do. And so it, it uh, prompted an interest in uh, journalism and for a year between college and law school i did work for a newspaper in rochester new york but i always had an interest in the law and so i thought i would go to law school and learn about the law and maybe write about that when i was done but i found that i loved the law and so it prompted me to uh, to go to law school and in that work uh as u.s attorney we focused quite a bit on public corruption cases and it was that same idea that had always motivated me about holding accountable people who abuse the public trust um, and so I think that's a really important watchdog function of prosecutors as well as journalists.
0: Excellent, and that's, that's really good to hear about your experience at The Daily as well. I'm also uh, a member of The Daily myself. So Excellent. Um, I appreciate that. Um, so um, you sort of talked about your, your specific focus on upholding the public trust and working to, uh, to sort of neutralize those forces which go, uh, which go against it. Um, how, how, I guess, specifically within uh, law were you able to pursue those most, uh, most specifically?
1: Well, um, at the, I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Detroit, as you said, and that is a place where we prosecuted violations of federal law. During the time that I was serving as U.S. Attorney, we had uh, a number of uh, prosecutions against public officials. The most uh, well-known one was against the former Detroit mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick. Um, He was convicted of, at trial, of crimes of extortion, bribery, tax offenses, fraud. Um, And it wasn't just the mayor, it was also 30 members of his administration or those doing business with the administration. We had other public corruption cases against uh, federal agents, against uh, council members in suburban communities, uh, those paying bribes in public contracting. And so that work to me is extremely important because we all need our government servants, our elected officials to serve us with the best interests of the people in mind. And when people are instead you know, taking money, um, approving contracts and taking official action in exchange for personal profit, the whole system unravels. Um, and so uh, when there is corruption, you know, it makes people cynical about their government. It makes good people not wanna participate in government. And it squeezes out honorable businesses who don't want to pay bribes or be extorted. And so I think that work is especially challenging, but it's also especially important.
0: Amazing. Um, I'm curious if there's one experience from your legal career that sticks out to you even until this day, um, and if if there's something you've learned from it uh, that really influences you.
1: Yeah, I guess you know one case that uh, stands out um, When I was nominated to be U.S. Attorney, you know, you get nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. I was confirmed on Christmas Eve of 2009. And I remember getting a call in the afternoon and thinking, this is great. I'm gonna have the greatest, uh, you know, holidays. I'm just gonna sit back and enjoy myself. And then the next morning um, got a uh, a call that an Al-Qaeda operative had tried to blow up a plane over Detroit on Christmas day, 2009. Um, And it was a true Al-Qaeda operative Uh, He was arrested, he gave public statements, he gave, um, he he did not in any way deny what he was trying to do. He took full responsibility for it. He was quite proud of his efforts. He was only unhappy that he had failed to take down a plane and he was uh, prosecuted and convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Uh, He is now serving um, in the Supermax facility in Florence, Colorado. And, uh, you know, thank God nobody was injured that day. Um, if he had been successful, he would have killed 279 people on board this flight from Amsterdam to Detroit. Um, it was over Woodhaven, Michigan, which uh, a very, you know, suburban residential area would have killed people on the ground. And, uh, you know, thank goodness he was not successful. I think otherwise we'd have those retrospectives every Christmas, you know, where were you on Christmas Day, 2009, you rem- remember when this plane came down and killed all these people. So. Fortunately, he had a bomb concealed in his underwear, and it didn't work. It set a fire. It burned him, but it didn't do anything else of damage to the plane. The pilots uh, or the the passengers, I think, had learned from the lessons of 9-11 that when someone attacks your plane, you fight back, and they did. They put out the fire, and he was uh, restrained and arrested. But I think the lesson that I learned there was how um, you can never become complacent because anything can happen at any time or any place. I think in those days, um, when we were uh, thinking about terrorist attacks, we often thought, well, you know, New York might be targeted, or maybe Washington, D.C. will be targeted, but people like us in the Midwest are probably pretty safe. And the reason he chose Detroit was total happenstance. Um, his mission, he, he went to Yemen and trained with uh, Anwar al-Awlaki, who was uh, a leader of Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. He learned to um, to work with this bomb, this uh, pl- those plastic explosives that could defeat the kinds of um, metal detectors that we used in those days of 09, not that long ago, but it was before we had the full-body scanners. And um, But then he was to pick his own plane ticket, uh, his own flight, uh, and choose which um, you know, city he was going to fly into. His only uh, specific assignment was to uh, blow up a U.S. airliner over U.S. soil. And so he went to the travel agency and he tried to buy a ticket and um, as he talked through all the options the cheapest flight he could find was a Northwest Airlines flight that uh, flew out of Amsterdam into Detroit. He didn't have enough mo- his first choice was Chicago and he didn't have enough money and then he thought Houston and didn't have enough money um, but he was able to afford the flight to Detroit which is how he ended up trying to blow up a plane coming here and so I think it was a good reminder that um, you know tragedy, disaster um, can strike at any moment at any time And so you need to be ready and I think you also just need to be grateful for every day that you have because you never know Uh, you know we're not promised tomorrow so important to embrace today.
0: I think that's a beautiful lesson to take from from such a tragic or. um, A really sad event, so thank you for that and that's that's something i'll take with me for sure um so I wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about um, your time here as a law professor. Um, so after having such an accomplished career in legal practice, um, what was it that made you decide to come back to Michigan um, and uh, have an academic career?
1: Well, at this point in my career, the thing I wanted to do most was have a positive impact in some way. Uh, you know, where can I go and have the maximum impact? And I thought teaching is a place where you can have a really amazing impact. You know, you're working with these bright, idealistic students. And um, especially at that moment in history, when I was uh, leaving government, uh, we saw the beginning of uh, the Trump era. And I thought it was just especially important that students understand uh, deeply what the law means, what the constitution means, what adherence to the rule of law means. And so um, I have found it to be a particularly important time to be teaching. And um, the students have been uh, even more Um, fantastic than I expected them to to be. I went to Michigan Law School so I knew it was a really high-caliber group of students but um, they're so engaged in what's going on in the world that it makes it um, really fun to be around them. And you know I think we're probably all a little bit of a chameleon. I'm certainly a chameleon and I tend to emulate in some ways the people I'm around. And although I love my work in government you know sometimes people can be very cynical. You're dealing with Judges and defense attorneys and uh, law enforcement agents who can sometimes be very cynical about the work that they're doing, and um, you know, it, when you're with students, they're excited and they're energized and they're idealistic, and so I find that that outlook rubs out, off out, on outlook, me, outlook. It? and it has made me, you know, more idealistic, yeah, and, energetic. idealistic and energetic.
0: Excellent. Um, so you, you spoke about you spoke about how how the students have, you know made you made you more optimistic, uh, really represented a change from uh, your, your government uh, work in the past. Um, what's most rewarding, would you say, about working with students? But on the contrary, what frustrates you the most and what do you wish was different?
1: I think the part that's most rewarding is, um, you know, being in the classroom is really fun. But the moments when I've got a student in office hours, and we're trying to work through a difficult or challenging area in the law. And you're talking with them and kind of just talking it through. And they have this aha moment where it finally clicks for them. You know, some of the doctrine is fairly straightforward. Some of it is very complicated. And sometimes, you know, in the classroom, it didn't quite click for them, but you get you get them in the room and you start talking and then suddenly say, oh, wait, is it is it like this? And you can see their eyes light up, like it's just clicked. It is so satisfying. Um, to to know that you have helped a student to learn something that is very challenging. So that part's the greatest. I really enjoy those moments. Um, What is the downside? I don't know. I suppose probably the things about academia that are maybe unavoidable or maybe just the way we've always uh, taught. You know, we have this grading curve where students, uh, you know, they have an allotment of how many people get A's and B's and C's. Uh, You know, some of those bureaucratic requirements are sometimes frustrating because you know, some of the stu- so many of the students we see at Michigan law school, really all of them are terrific. I mean, every one of them is an A student who deserves to get A's in their work. And yet, because of the bureaucracy, we're required to give a portion of them B's and a portion of them C's. And I think that that can be really devastating for people who've never gotten a, anything but an A in their lives. And I don't know that it's necessary. So that part of it, I, I hope that we rethink that as time goes on. I know other parts of the university have done that because I think it is uh, needlessly deflating for these otherwise uh, world beaters who come to the law school and want to change the world. And then they get grades that are disappointing to them, even though they've put in a lot of effort, I think is is needlessly deflating.
0: Certainly, certainly. I, I, I agree with that as well. <laughs> um, so, so in terms of, of students at the law school, um, or maybe those who are considering becoming a student at the law school, um, what advice do you have for those who might be considering career in law?
1: Um, You know, I think sometimes people hear this phrase that we have too many lawyers already and we don't need any more lawyers. And I disagree with that. I think there are a lot of lawyers out there, but we can always use more good lawyers. The world is a complicated place and it's getting more complicated every day. We need people to help us deal with, you know, cybersecurity and data privacy and cryptocurrency and autonomous vehicles. There are all kinds of new technologies and the world is getting smaller, international issues as we transact business around the world. Um, there is always a need for people who can understand those things and help others work through the law. And, and that's what lawyers do, You know, help solve problems. You've got a, a good, you know solid understanding of the law and you can help people solve problems. It's essential to business. It's essential to um, innocent people protecting their uh, liberty or even guilty people protecting their liberty. Everybody's entitled to um, you know, due process rights and a fair trial. Uh, people who are trying to get their uh, immigration rights exercised or their parental rights, all of those people need good representation. And so I think that uh, I wouldn't worry about the, uh, the glut of lawyers. I don't think there is one. I think we need um, lawyers and, and always will as the world becomes an ever more complicated place.
0: I, I, uh, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Um, something, so you sort of touched on those new areas where you feel that lawyers are going to be especially needed heading into the future. Where do you see there being the most need for lawyers in these, in these sort of un, uncharted waters? Um, so you talked about cryptocurrency, um, as one example, um, Where is there the most opportunity and need for young lawyers coming into the practice?
1: Yeah, a number of places. I think public defense is a place where we could use more lawyers. You know, sometimes it is not the most lucrative work. And so sometimes lawyers, especially those who have large student debt, are drawn to uh, careers that are more lucrative, working in a large law firm where you can make a lot of money right out of law school, as opposed to working in public defense or immigration law. Um, in other areas. You know, there are loan forgiveness programs that help people make that uh, affordable, but we can really use good, talented lawyers working in those fields. We have wonderful lawyers doing that work. I think we just need more of them. Um, But then also in this world of cybersecurity uh, and data privacy, I think that is an area where, um, because it's a growing field, we need more lawyers. And I also see lawyers sometimes shy away from that kind of work. Even though the people who are experts in that area are not necessarily people who have backgrounds in computer science or data science or any of those things. I think sometimes lawyers naturally shy away from that. They say, you know, they told me there'd be no math. That's why I went to law school. I'm a reading and writing kind of person. I'm not a math and science kind of person. But I think anybody who's open to that, there's a lot of room for um, that kind of thinking. Uh, You know, people who are just good critical thinkers can learn what they need to learn from the, the tech specialists about, you know, how all that data security and data privacy technology works. Their job is to, you know, create laws that will protect us from uh, abuse of those things, uh, crafting regulations or helping people navigate. You know, if you have a company and you have the private data of a number of customers, you have a duty to safeguard that. How do you comply with the law and make sure you're doing right by your customers while still doing an effective business? So I think, you know all kinds of every company now wants to frame themselves as a technology company that does something else so ford motor company considers itself a technology company that also happens to sell cars uh you know all these we're we're mobility companies so i think there's a lot of room there for lawyers to help um, their teams navigate the legal landscape as they continue to innovate and use technology to improve the lives of people and you know sometimes also anticipating the ways technology might not improve our lives and harm our lives. You know, I think so. Right now, we're seeing some of the growing pains with social media, of the ways it can be abused. You know, it's still um, a very young technology, and at first we're dazzled by it, and then we realize the downsides of it. And eventually, I think we'll get to a place where we have appropriate regulations and we can use the tool and be protected from the downsides. But it's going to require lawyers to figure that out. And so, um, I think there are all kinds of opportunities there for people who uh, are interested in the law. Uh, in working their way through with that technology.
0: Certainly, Um, are there any skills that you see as as being particularly useful and necessary for students and whether that's law students in particular or any students uh, to be prepared to meet these challenges?
1: Yeah, I think two in particular that I would think of, and you know, this one gets talked about a lot, I think without really thinking about what it is, critical thinking skills you know, I guess maybe I would think of it more as analytical skills to solve problems. And so it isn't necessarily, you know, I read this passage uh, of reading comprehension for the SAT and now I can ask, answer some questions about it. It really is thinking deeply about, you know, is causation the same thing as correlation? Uh, you know, I took a course in college at Michigan, a seminar called how to lie with statistics. And it was really good in terms of developing critical thinking. You know, you would hear things like, uh, families who eat dinner together were less likely to have children who dropped out of school or something like that and so you know you might some might try to conclude therefore well if you make your kid eat dinner with you every night then he won't drop out of school well is that causation or correlation it's probably more correlation because the family that's having dinner together probably also has some good things going on for it right they probably have a stable income they have a shelter over their head uh, the parents probably have regular jobs that permit them to have dinner at a regular hour so It may not be so much the the fact of the dinner but the fact that they can have dinner together that is actually helping to keep their kids in school so just digging a little deeper on things i think would serve all students well to thrive in this world especially where i think because the world has become more complicated with the amount of information that we have accessible to us and is thrown at us every day um, i think sometimes that causes us to listen to just the loudest voices or the shrillest voices when if you really dig into what they're saying, it doesn't make a lot of sense at all. And so I think we need to think for ourselves independently, critically by digging deeper. So that's one. The other skill I think that is so critically important is the ability to communicate effectively, verbally and in writing. And um, I think that as we move away from, you know, nobody writes, writes letters anymore, we do a lot of texting, we do a lot of shorthand. I worry sometimes if that is not going to be a lost art, um and you know maybe it changes and evolves uh, as technology changes and evolves and it doesn't look the way it used to yeah i kind of complain that my kids never learned how to do handwriting you know cursive writing in school because so it's sort of a lost art when i was a kid we spent a lot of time my mother who was 90 has the most beautiful handwriting you've ever seen because it was considered an important skill then and so you know people of my generation bemoan that loss but i don't necessarily think that's necessary but i do think the ability to communicate in a way that Um, makes your message clear to others is really important and so I think students would be well served to do as much writing as they can and public speaking as they can debate argumentation Um, and one way to learn how to do those things better is of course through taking classes but also to be a better writer you should read a lot So I tell our law students, you should read judicial opinions. And in particular, I think the writing of Justice Elena Kagan and Chief Justice John Roberts is particularly good. Like, read what they write. If you read what they write, you can emulate that. You know, read good publications, read good writing, read good literature. And the same is true with regard to um, spoken communications. Watch TED Talks or Stories on the Moth. You know, the Moth is is a podcast now. It's storytelling. Storytelling, you know, I think sometimes, oh, storytelling, that is just you know making up tall tales. No, there is a, a real strategy to telling an, an effective story. We, we remember lessons by hearing stories uh, it, that are memorable. And so uh, learning those skills I think can be very effective because wherever you find yourself in, in the work world, uh, whether you're in a courtroom like some of our students or in a boardroom or just um, working on Zoom with colleagues in a startup or sitting in a conference room at a corporation, at some point you're going to be asked to communicate either in writing or orally and i think those two skills are skills that really every student should be working to maximize to prepare themselves for the work world
0: i absolutely agree thank you so much See, um your i work at the I'm,
1: michigan daily is going to serve you well
0: i hope so i hope so i really enjoy writing um i i read a lot i've always been a really big reader um and i i found it's been really influential in my life and Um, hopefully we'll we'll pay dividends down the road um but I also I want to be respectful of your time I have one final question for you if that's all right um so if you could if you could give a piece of advice or tell something you you would want to know um for your younger self um Mm -hmm. at the time you were going through college and also an undergraduate today um what would what would those pieces of advice be?
1: Um, I would say it would be to never eliminate yourself. I, As a, a, a employee and a boss and a manager um, and a teacher, I have sometimes seen people um, not apply for a job they might want or not to put themselves out there to apply for a judgeship or some other kinds of appointments, uh, elective office, because um, they fear that they won't get it. Uh, well, I, fig- I really wanted it, but I figured to pick someone else. Uh, you know, we would be promoting people for management positions in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and people would apply, and then you you know ask somebody, why didn't you apply for that job? Oh, I figured you'd pick somebody else. Um, You know, let the decision maker decide you're not the right person for this job. If you think you're qualified and you want to do this thing, even if you think, well, there's somebody better than me, they'll probably pick that guy, you never know what it is the decision maker is looking for. It may be that while you lack some of the qualifications that other person has, you have other qualifications that that person lacks that are more important in this context. They might really value um, the experience that you bring to the table because you did this one thing. You worked at the Michigan Daily, for example, and I really want that kind of experience uh, in this particular job, even though this other person has been working for more years. Um, I, I think a great example of this is um, in 2002, there was uh, an Olympic race in short track speed skating. And you probably are too young to remember this, Noah, but there used to be a short track speed skater named Anton Apollo Ono. He is now a pitch man for Subway. And so maybe you know him in that regard. Um, but he was gonna have a big race with a great rival from South Korea, whose name I don't remember. And they were lined up for the race along with all these other racers and the race begins and they're going around, they have a big lead and the announcers are uh, ooing and eyeing about how great he is and how great his um, rival is. And then there's another skater who is lagging way behind from Australia. I guess short track speed skating isn't such a big deal in Australia. And the the announcers are kind of almost mocking him like, oh, I can't believe how far behind this guy is. What is he even doing on the same ice with the great Ono and the great South Korean champion? Um, And the race goes on and they come into the final turn um, and uh, Ono and his opponent uh, collide. Their skates clash and they go down and they slide out and they take out the whole field with them. Except for one who's so far behind the Australian is able to navigate his way through the bodies and finish first and win the gold medal. And why did wow. he win? It's because he didn't eliminate himself. You know, he, he realized, I probably won't win. One of these other guys are probably win. they're, they're better than I am. Yeah. But you know what? He was, he, he put himself in the race and he gave himself a chance to win. So never eliminate yourself. If you think you're qualified and there's something you want to do, stick your neck out there and give it a try.
0: Well, I think that's an excellent piece of advice and an excellent, uh, an excellent bit of wisdom to leave our listeners with thank you so much professor McQuaid, for your time and for your amazing insights
1: you're welcome noah thanks for doing this it's a it's a great uh, opportunity to chat with you and i've enjoyed it very much thank you
0: well that